jasoncharles.net. Deep talk, deep sounds. Arts and culture. You are listening to Lost Angeles with Laura Craven on jasoncharles.net. This is Laura Craven with Lost Angeles on the jasoncharles.net podcast network. Today, my very special guest is Jane Cantillon, who is a filmmaker and a musician and has a great love of Los Angeles. We're here to talk to her today about her film, The Other Side, A Queer History's Last Call. And it's about Los Angeles' last piano bar in Silver Lake called The Other Side. Welcome, Jane. Thank you, Laura. So good to see you today. And um, also, this interview has significance because we're recording this during Pride Month. So it's a really important time capsule that you put together about this iconic place that was such a haven for so many people. So let's get into it first by talking about how it came to be that that was a subject you wanted to to cover. Well, first of all, I must say gay men have been a huge part of my life. And I survived the epidemic, the AIDS epidemic and so many of my comrades didn't. And I um, live just a few blocks from the bar, and I would ride my bicycle, my favorite you know, exercise, and I'd see this long hallway and these older men walking down with canes and walkers and you know, stooped in down this long, dark alley, up a few steps, and, and I'd wonder, is that a, ma- a secret magic club? Who are these men that are so interesting looking? Where are they going? And of course, Silver Lake has always been a gay mecca. And so one day I was with my husband and I went up the long path and went in. And it was an afternoon. I was in a great mood. And I sat at the piano bar. I was like, wow, look at this. I remember the tradition from Cleveland my parents actually used to go to a gay piano bar together because to, the music was so incredibly good. And so I walk up and I sit down at the bar and this woman is playing Willow Weep for Me and she's in the film doing it. Her name is Sanji Kimmins. And it was so moving. I burst into tears and I became obsessed with the bar. The fact that seven days a week they had someone at the piano it was free, and you just buy a drink and sit there, and you could get up and sing, and I'm a singer, so I would get up sometimes, and it was, it was such a moving experience. It was, and so then I, I, I started thinking about the piano bar tradition, musical theater, and um, gay culture, and that's when I decided to, um, I'm going to make a documentary because I was a film, uh, I'm sorry, I was a TV producer already for years at that point. And I started researching. And um, when I started sitting down with the interviews, I realized that there was a common thread that all of these men, almost all of them had been entrapped by the LAPD one time or another, many of them in that exact bar. And then I realized there was another story there besides the history of of piano bar, musical theater, and the gay culture. 
and the incredible loss of, of so many great men and women from the AIDS epidemic. So. Right. Wow. Well, such a multi-layered story. And I have to say, I, I enjoyed the film so much. And I'll mention it here, but I'll say it again at the end also, that I would encourage anyone to, to see it. It's available for rent and purchase, I believe, on Amazon. And there's probably other platforms yeah. as well. But you can just stream it. Yeah. yeah. You can just at home stream yeah. it on Amazon. Yeah. No, it's really lovely. I just love the whole genesis of it, how you became a patron of the bar yourself. And that's so great. So we'll get into the actual filmmaking in a minute. But I wanted to touch on, you know, since this is an architecture-based podcast, um, just touch on the building there for a minute. It was built in 1963, and the architectural firm was Prescott, Whaley, and Waite. And Robert Waite was the principal architect of the building. And I, I went to look at other works of theirs. They had done a couple of fire stations throughout Los Angeles, one at LAX, and um, lifeguard headquarter operations in Venice. And they do have, you know, there's a running theme. They have, like, they were definitely mid-century modern. And they, you know, they went in for, like, the flat roof, clean lines. And you can definitely see that in this building that's at 2538 Hyperion. And um, we should mention there's a restaurant there now called Hyperion Public. So it seems to have had a long history of, even though there's offices up at the top, it always had some sort of entertainment or retail function on the lower floors. Mm -hmm. It was also um, a beauty parlor. Oh, perfect. Downstairs. Right. But yeah, I really, you know, I can appreciate the the simplicity of the building. I mean, it's really, you know, it's two-story and it looks like the parking is you go in off the street and park kind of towards the back, down and towards the back. Yeah. And there's some interesting vertical lines that just kind of separate that second floor area with windows. And, you know, it sounds very basic and simplistic, but it's pleasing aesthetically. I also learned that the architect's office was just four properties south of the other side. So I don't know if the original owners just figured, oh, we're going to buy this piece of land and hire the closest architect we can find or or how that came about. But that was very interesting to note that their office, I mean, how convenient during construction too, you know, is they could just walk up the street. Can I ask it. a question? Sure. Is the uh, gym bodybuilders, was that where the architectural firm? It's Yes. Ah. So now it's, it is bodybuilders. But it's right. almost identical. Yeah. To building. Yeah, it's got that low-slung mm-hmm. roof line, mm-hmm. and yeah, very interesting. And the um, the fire stations that they built also, I mean, I know that there are specific parameters you have to have for the trucks and the quarters where the firefighters sleep and eat and all that, but, you know, there's like one in Van Nuys, which is quite beautiful. You know, it's brick, which is rare for Los Angeles. But it just has that kind of cool mid-century aesthetic. And mm-hmm. it's nice that it was obviously, you know, a public works project. So, oh. mm-hmm. yeah, Interesting. So I can appreciate that. But um, I wanted to ask you, based on the, the architecture of the other side, and it did start as Patino's, but it seems in the film while I'm watching it that they're actually going up some stairs mm-hmm. and... 
But the bar itself was not on the second floor, correct? It, it is. It is. Yes, and oh, it still is. Interesting. in public. Okay, so that's mm-hmm. not at street level. Mm-mm. Wow. Okay. And so having to go upstairs to access the bar, was that part of like a protection Absolutely. of the patrons Absolutely. that went there? Interesting. Yeah. Well, and maybe you could speak to some of the the specific design elements that this bar had to have, even though, like you had mentioned, the LAPD was quite um, aggressive. They were (laughs) aggressive, and it sounds like they were there all the time. But even with that, there there were elements such as no windows, if you Mm -hmm. could speak Mm -hmm. to that a little bit about those protectionary mm -hmm. elements. It was perfect because of that long hallway Mm -hmm. toward the entrance of the bar. And the doorway was on the left, and the sign was just buried inside that hallway. And uh, there were no windows. And um, the windows were, um, yeah, there was one in the back, one big one in the back overlooking the parking lot. But that was it, which is was so convenient at that time to, to keep, you know, so many of the Silver Lake bars were boarded up. The front windows were boarded up, blacked out completely. So it was a window, but it was boarded and black. The whole thing was painted black. There were several bars like that. Um, And, uh, you know, the darkened windows and the alleyways. And even there's a bar down the street from what was the other side. It was called Woody's. It was Mm -hmm. in many different incarnations. And even though it had a front entrance, it was completely boarded. The front door was, you only entered from the back. Wow. So, uh, yeah. And then it was funny, one of the guys in my my, uh, film, who's still alive, Richard Little, was mentioning that not until 1978, when he was in San Francisco in the Castro District, how shocking it was when he went to a bar and the window was open. The whole front was opened up to see. People could see inside. He said, I can't believe this. It was like, this is shocking. I felt naked sitting there, you know, and people being, I mean, can you imagine the Castro, like, Finally, the the window is open and you could see, and there was air coming in. And he Absolutely. said, "It was such a big moment." That for him. was a yeah, and the Castro really was representative of mm-hmm. we, we're here and yes. we're not hiding anymore. Exactly. That's where Harvey Milk's offices right. were when mm-hmm. he was a politician. So, yeah. yeah. That's great. Yeah. Of course, there was the back rooms, which was also <laughs> the bar and then the back room. And then I love the, the Ack Bar, which was Jolie's too. And it was so many other bars, but that they had the bath, the baths upstairs. And Ack Bar is still, still is in ba- existence. It, it is now. the best. It's, it's the most inclusive gay bar, I think, in the whole city. Nice. Because it, you know, the elder population is welcomed and, mm-hmm. you know, and treated with such respect and love, which, you know, L.A., especially Hollywood, is obsessed with youth and beauty. Right. So to have a bar that is for everyone is just wonderful. But I love that the fa- that the bathhouse was upstairs. That's just. Wow. So, yeah, yeah bathhouse and then refreshments downstairs. <laughs> Convenient. That's a nice way. Yes. 
<laughs> well, to that end, speaking about the older gentleman that would go, I, that was one of my favorite parts of the film is when you're interviewing or you come across a group of younger gay men and they stop to tell you that they really appreciated seeing these older gentlemen going in because to them it represented there was hope for the future. That was really poignant to me in your mm-hmm. film. I'm so glad that you captured that because, you know, it was so representative of kind of this passing of the torch. And of course, that makes the closing of the bar bittersweet. Los Angeles, you know, has many other gay bars and institutions, but the fact that this one had so much history mm-hmm. and now isn't there, it is kind of sad, but it's another reason why the documentary that you made is so important. It captures all of that, and now it's it's here forever. So, thank you so much. <laughs> oh. Yeah, I think the guys said um, the young the young kids said, "Where are we going to go when we're older?" Well, they can go to Akbar, but right. <laughs> uh, you know, to hear music all the time, right? You know? And that's one of the, another point in the film made by again Richard Littles. He said he said. Um, you know, the AIDS, uh, the epidemic took away so many people that could have mentored the younger generations into the um, the musical theater tradition of the piano bar and the great, you know, Cole Porter and Gershwin and all the, you know, Jerome Kern, all these songs that kind of, after that, our generation, my, you know, I'm in my 60s, were wiped out. So they couldn't kind mm-hmm. of bring that tradition to the younger audience. And that's, you know, kind of sad. But who knows? There's hope. Those great composers will never go away. Right. Those songs are here yeah. forever. And, and that is a, a great thing we can talk about in the film is that you captured so many amazing performances and to think that that was going on, you know, seven nights a week. And I I loved the part where it was almost like everyone in the place was just up on their feet and singing together. The camaraderie is fabulous. And, and so much talent. I mean, not only the piano players, but the vocalists. And, you know, I didn't realize that, you know, you can count yourself amongst them. It's too bad that we don't see your performance Jane, in, oh, well. in the film, that would have been great. I don't like to see myself on film. <laughs> I'm an extra. I'm in the background watching. Right. Oh, wow. But you just, yeah, everything you captured was Thank just you. so great. And I really, I love that idea of the sing-along, you know, that it just brings everyone together and and the history and the memories. And then, you know, another aspect aside, you know, from all the great music is you have a few characters that you kind of, you know, take to the side and you obviously interviewed them on two or three other occasions, like outside of the bar. And we really get to to hear what their experience was like. And, you know, just so sweet. Like there's a couple of couples that got together and were together until one of them passed away or it was like many decades and it's just so heartwarming oh, and sweet to see that and i'm wondering how did you kind of choose them or did you talk to a lot of people and then whittle it down or what was that 
that kind of part of the project. Well, it's so funny because I started on Flag Day. I, I had my first I, – I, I put a, a flyer out in the bar before Flag Day saying, meet me at the other side on Flag Day. I want to pre-interview you for a film, but you have to be 60 or older, which is so funny because that's so long ago, 20, you know, 2004. Mm-hmm. So because I, I actually – I was an ageist myself. <laughs> you had to be old to, to be interviewed, and you had to have stories. So my one – one of them was 59. Again, I keep bringing up Richard Little. I think he's the only one that's still alive, thank God. Mm-hmm. But he was 59, but he had – had so many entrapment stories that were fascinating. And he was a regular at the bar. And had been he'd been going to the bar for so many years, and all of it's different. You know, Patino's, uh, the Toy Tiger, Houston's, Daddy's. You know, they call it, it's such a bad name, but they call it a wrinkle room. Wow. So anyway, back to, um, I got, uh, and, and the men, I've got to say, they didn't trust me at first at all. They thought I was mocking them. I was going to exploit them. And a lot of them were still in the closet. Wow. A lot of them, even the younger ones that were, you know, closer closer to my age, not, you know, but they were, it was so strange that they were still, you know, but anyway, they didn't trust me one bit. And I was a TV producer who is this woman, this straight woman, though I really identify as an older gay man. <laughs> Um, you know, who is she? So it took a, a long time for me to kind of get them warmed up to be able to talk to me. But they did. And um, so that's how it started. I on Flag Day, I said, okay, you all come in and the pre-interview. Then it was like, great. You know, I have. But that's when I realized that there was a much bigger story there as far as the LAPD. Oh, and there was one other thing that inspired me besides going to the bar. Um, I read about how West Hollywood was formed, which was the LAPD, their tactics were so brutal and cruel and homophobic that that's when everyone headed west because of the sheriff's department was much easier, milder, on the gay population um, because, you know, Sunset Strip, that was the wild place. That was, you know, people don't realize that the Sunset Strip, which a lot, there were a lot of gay bars and, you know, you, you know the history of West Hollywood already, what happened right. in 84. But the Sunset Strip, actually the Vegas Strip was named after the Sunset Strip mm-hmm. because that was wild, all the gangsters, all the brothels, all the gambling spots. You know, that was really loose and wild. Mm-hmm. So the Strip in Vegas was named after Sunset Strip. Oh. So that's pretty much the LAPD's cruelty and um, enforcement pushed everyone west to the um, unincorporated Los Angeles, the sheriff's, mm-hmm. you know. So that's, Interesting. you know, and when I heard that, I was like, wow. You know, and then put that together with these stories and realize that downtown and Silver Lake were so long ago really the gay mecca that West Hollywood is now. Wow. Yeah, I mean, who who would think that just because the LAPD jurisdiction, it must end there at Crescent Heights? 
Well, it's got a really weird. It's so interesting because it has a the district the way it's cut. It's actually shaped like a gun. It is heading right. Yes, it's like I've it's seen. it's shaped like Noticed a gun that heading on the map. east. Mm-hmm. So it's it's yeah. The, I can't tell you exact, but it's, it's Santa Monica. It goes, you know. So, it, but the gun thing, I always thought was really symbolic of what you know what created wonderful West yeah. Hollywood. And that is so interesting. I have to wonder if that was by design or just geographically that's <laughs> how it just... happened. But yes, I've definitely noticed that gun image yes. on the map for sure. Uh-huh. And um, it was really interesting, the, the LAPD entrapments that you're saying. What they would do is take the younger recruits, the, the guys that were really kind of cute and good looking, and send them into gay bars so that they'd be hit on. I just have to wonder, statistically, some of those young, good-looking, you know, policemen must have been gay. So what an interesting conflict, inner conflict, they must have felt, like kind of entrapping these men, taking them out in handcuffs. They had to spend the night in jail. I mean, it could be career-ruining. And yet, you know, I just, yeah, I have to think that some of them knew. You know what? I love the angle that so many young men came out here to be stars and couldn't make it, so they became police officers. You know, they couldn't make it in Hollywood, so they joined the the force. So that's where the really good-looking ones came out. They were actors, acting gay. What an interesting conclusion to come to. If I can't make it as an actor, I'm going to to join the force. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. So I wanted to touch a little bit on, you know, your history and how you mentioned Cleveland. So you came out here from Ohio Mm -hmm. and um, was your desire to work in the entertainment industry or was it something else? Yeah. Well, I worked at the Plain Dealer, Ohio's largest paper, and then I knew I just wanted to get away from Ohio. (laughs) So I came out here and I was on and off a journalist for years and years and um, worked for crazy things like a punk rock magazine, Tiger Beat, Rona Barrett's. And then I um, started being a TV producer in the 90s and worked for Hard Copy and Entertainment Tonight and Please Forgive Me, Dr. Phil and (laughs) um, Tyra Banks, Howie Mandel, all these cheesy daytime shows. I got... um, Emmy nomination wow. for um, the talk, daytime Emmy. Woo! Very nice. Well, obviously, it's your forte. You're very good at it. So, <laughs> so luckily, this film was probably the most meaningful thing I've ever done. Mm-hmm. And, but yeah, that's my background. And now I do um, music and art therapy with elders with dementia and Alzheimer's. So what I do is I come in because I love the old standards. Mm-hmm. So I know them all. They, they're in my lizard brain. They're stuck forever. <laughs> so what I do is uh, left brain is memory and right brain is creating. So I go in, I set up a watercolor workshop for them, really simple, beautiful samples that they copy. And they work on it week to week. It's not just... And then so we start singing, and they all sing along, and then right brain painting and watercolors are so calming and, you know, non-toxic. There's no, so they do it at the same time, and you're actually creating new brain cells 
when you do these two at the same time. And it's so enjoyable, and I love my work. I'm so happy uh, and at this they, age to yeah, be doing that. Yeah, I mean, and they must get so much out of That's it. I mean, you're really, really improving lives, Jane. It's really fun. Wow. It's really, really right. fun. So, And then in addition to that, you're in your own band with your husband as mm-hmm. well. I want to talk a little bit about how that came about and what, what you're doing with that today. Oh, I've been an entertainer for years. I think that's like my hobby. I wouldn't. I don't think I had – I just never had the drive. I couldn't stand rejection. I was an actress for five minutes, you know, in a couple dumb films, but I just – I couldn't do it. And singing – it's always been something I love and do. And so I also write funny songs. So we play clubs like, you know, a few, every few weeks we play local clubs. And it's fun and funny and, you know, a little following. The young kids love yeah, it. Yeah, I was reading you've been at the Dresden Room. And... Mm, we had a residency before COVID. Wow. Yeah, we played once a month there. And it's just so much fun. That's great. So. And yeah, we can say the name. It's Dick and Jane's Family Dick. Orchestra, yeah. which is a great name. Love <laughs> My that. husband's name is Dick, Richard which, Dick. Yeah. yeah. No, so, it just works out. See Dick. See Dick run. See us. No. Not run so much. In our, but that's yeah, good. Right. Music is magic. It just, it, it, we don't even know enough about what it does. And Back to the film, like you said, the young people and the older people singing together. And my one piano bar entertainer said, it's like church. Something happens when people sing together. Right. It just, right. it raises you up and it, you know, it's it's the last thing that in your mind that lives, like Oliver Sacks writes about it. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's kind of a miracle. Yeah. But I think that's what brought so many people together in that bar, that they could sing, they could sing together, they could get up and sing, they could, you know. Yeah, that desire for community also. I mean, it's just, it's doing wonderful things for their brains, Mm -hmm. right? But Mm -hmm. at the same time, it gives them the sense of just being part of something bigger. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's... It's and so it was great. such a that place. Not only was it musically wonderful, but it was such a safe place for these men. Mm-hmm. You know, it was it, it just like why they would cover the windows and make the entrance in the back or a long dark hallway or an alleyway the hidden world of the gay bar. This was the ultimate safe place. You know, especially for the invisible culture of men. And some t- someone told me once that's why it was called The Other Side. It was The Other Side of 40, uh-huh. which sadly in this ageist world of ours would be you know, considered right. old, you know, especially yeah. in the gay world that worships youth and beauty. Right. Well, it's an interestingly unique name for a gay bar. This is touched on in the film also, but the signal that a bar was gay was if it had a bird name. Right. In it, the bird circuit. Los Angeles. <laughs> and that is something that, you know, I never quite considered, but there were a lot of bird names. You in, lived in West Hollywood. Right. Do you remember, the, was it the the, uh, the Blue Parrot? The Blue Parrot. Was right, you're too young to remember. It was on Larrabee and Santa Monica Boulevard. Okay. Yeah. yeah, no, but. Yeah, I remember that. I do, I love these names. I think I wrote some down. And Let's the Roosterfish just closed the in Venice. <laughs> the Roosterfish. Oh, my God. 
Wow. Well, that's great. And it's just so wonderful that it was kind of this code, mm-hmm. you know, for the gay community that they knew they could go to those bars and, you know, kind of be around other people. Exactly. That's good. Um, well, I wanted to ask if there's, you know, anything you'd like to promote or your social media, any place that people can follow along with your vast, amazing career, Aww. Jane. Thank and- you. Um, I just... Uh, I, I'm so happy that the film lives on Amazon because it it's just such an important reminder of what these men went through. Uh-huh. And the thing that I loved so much when I started meeting them is that they weren't bitter. I mean, right. they were not. We are so petty in our little world. I mean, not all of us, but it's just they had survived a plague. They had survived multiple arrests. They had survived... You know, their family blocking them, disowning them, you know, um, on and on. It just it just amazed me when I met these men that they were so brave and so grateful for their lives. And just and that's, again, the fact that they survived, you know, so many things and watching them walk down that alley, which is, you know, just to say, who are those men? Are those the men that I was friends with that I will never, that died when they were in their 30s, 40s, that, you know, I wanted to see age. I wanted to age with them. And, you know, they're part of my history. And and they're gone. So I would look at these men's faces and say, this is, these are, these are our, you know, our ancestors right. in this gay you know, liberation or, or fight for survival. or right. It was just really sweet to meet them and so interesting. Definitely, yeah. and it is. It's such a sweet, wonderful film, a real love letter to the whole community, Thank Jane. You. I mean, just, yeah. yeah. Again, the, the title of it is The Other Side, A Queer History's Last Call, and available for rent or purchase on Amazon. So I would encourage anyone listening to to definitely check that out because it's it's just heartwarming and great even though there is this undercurrent of sadness because you made the film as the bar was closing so yeah well no actually I made it in a period of almost ten years oh wow. I followed them yeah mm-hmm. for a long time I had to put I had a false ending originally and it was in a couple of film festivals. And then I was I was raising my daughter. I was working as a full time producer, and I put it down. And then in 2012, when they said it's closing, I reopened the film and, and said this uh, is a natural ending, and right. it's worthy, you know. And it, that's how it it you know that's why it took so long, and why I felt this was the right ending to have. Um, so that's when I reopened and yeah, shot definitely. the final chapter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Great, great story. Well, I'm so glad that, you know, even though it was sad that it was ending, it really was the perfect way to to kind of flesh out your film and and make it this whole documentary with, you know, you just go over it so well the beginning the middle and the end so we can all be grateful for that jane thank you so much and i did want to say before we we end here a special thanks to kathleen sullivan 
who is the executive director of Open House in San Francisco. She's a friend of yours and a friend of Jason Charles, the producer of all these wonderful podcasts. And she was really, you know, instructive in getting us all together. And I I just really want to say thank you, Kathleen, because, yeah. yeah Thanks, great. Kathleen. <laughs> it all came together, and especially during this Pride Month of June, it's just, you know, very poetic. And I'm going to say thank you again, Jane. It's just been really wonderful talking to you, getting to know you, learning about the film and and this pretty amazing property out there on Hyperion Boulevard. And don't forget, it was across from Disney Studios. Wow. So, right. The magic. The original Hyperion Studios. Wow. Pinocchio was made there, uh, Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. Oh, uh, what else? Some other... What's that famous film that was sort of psychedelia when we were kids? Oh, Fantasia. Fantasia. Yeah. Right. So wow. all of those films were made. So it was such an iconic spot. Yes, anyway. definitely. Gosh, that history of Silver Lake, that could be another show yeah. all on its own. <laughs> totally. For sure. Well, again, my appreciation. Oh, thanks, Lee. Laura. And, thanks, um, Jason. Yes, and thank you, Jason. And I'd like to thank Carmen Grillo and Big Surprise Music, this beautiful professional recording studio that we are in today. Thank you so much, Carmen. I'd also like to say don't forget to subscribe to Los Angeles wherever you get your podcasts. And for exclusive outtakes and extra photos and other extras, you can go to the Los Angeles page at jasoncharles.net on the Arts and Culture channel. And we really appreciate your listening and your support. And for Los Angeles, this is Laura Craven. You've been listening to Los Angeles with Laura Craven on jasoncharles.net. jasoncharles.net Deep talk, deep sounds. That was so deep.